ladies, gentlemen, and podcast fans around the world. Welcome to Better Than Most Things with your hosts, Sean and Max. <laughs> Thank you, producer Mr. E. That was your best one yet. I'm liking the change. Thank you. Welcome yeah, yeah. I like it that one. I like it that one. <laughs> All right. I have a quick question for you guys. Um, I want to get to like the, the the meat and potatoes of all the good topics stuff. But last week or like even like the week before that, I got obsessed with this show called The Floor is Lava. Have you guys checked it out yet? Yes. You mentioned something to me about it, but I haven't checked it out. The only reason I'm mentioning it to you guys even now is I feel like host Sean would be the ultimate Floor is Lava player. <laughs> <laughs> in that I would go on it too and I think I would do really well as myself because we used to me and Sean used to somewhat parkour but that was for another discussion but ages it ago it just seems like it's doable but I know his he's like a very lean man and he has the power of observation and I feel like he would just kick ass at the floor's lava and become like its grand champion so again I feel like you should watch this show just to get on this show well that's uh that's how I start every morning is the floor is lava I don't touch the floor. I just like bounce my way to the uh, bathtub, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but I have As seen the show know. and I have made some observations like, uh, you know, why are people doing this? Why are people going that way? And there, there's one level in particular, the pyramid where this family just yeah. couldn't figure out what this stick was for. And it was used yeah. to nudge something over and, and some other, you know, to unlock something else in the level. It's and, like legends of the hidden temple or what? Oh, Totally. Dude, it oh, is. Like, I'm checking it out tonight. Then I guess we should describe it. just for a case the listeners have not heard of the floor is lava. It basically is a room where instead of a floor, it's kind of, it's water. Like it's almost like a room in a in a pool, but the pool is a red colored pool. Therefore, the floor is lava, and I guess the water is heated because they they mentioned before like oh that's hot when it when it touches them. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's bullshit. I don't know, but. It's like a team of three has to get from one side of the room to the other, and it's all these obstacles, and it seems easy, but I think it's one of those, it's deceptively looking easy, and it actually is really hard. Yeah, I would agree with that, because uh, in I think I've seen two episodes, and in one of the episodes, they're moving this painting around, and it weighs like 30 pounds, so they don't make it easy for you, even though it looks like it's just a plank of wood. Mm-hmm. And people like jumping like six feet and stuff and eating shit. It's pretty funny too. Oh my god, the way they smack themselves on things. It reminds me of um, Maximum Extreme Challenge. Isn't that the show MXC? Oh, yeah, yeah. MXC for sure. I used to love that show. Yeah, douche. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I am douche. <laughs> um, yeah, I like that show. Uh, some of the fun parts about that is when someone does go into the quote unquote lava. Uh, they edit it in such a way that you never see them come up again. They just like disappear. I love that too. So, uh-huh. And sometimes it shows the people going, no, <laughs> like their friend just died. That's my favorite part too. I love how serious they take it. All right. When we started the show, Sean was like, I want to start a topic with something with teeth. So yes, I, did. I chose this topic. So a team of researchers working in Japan, you know, they have all the best research at this point. They have found that whale sharks, you know what whale sharks are? Those really giant, whale-looking sharks. Yeah, a whale shark is... It's a a good term. It's a whale, right? It's not a shark. Or is it a shark? It's a combo? (laughs) (laughs) All right, continue. Question mark? I think it's a combo. Um, But basically, they discovered that whale sharks have thousands of dermal denticles, which are tiny teeth, in their eyes. Huh. 
tiny so teeth like, in their eyes. Yes. Okay. Teeth eyes. What do they suspect the reason is for this? Well, it's kind of funny is um, they're mentioning how the, the tiny teeth are not used for chewing. It's more of a protection thing. They're like scale thingies, for lack of a better oh. term. Now I'm with this thingies. Yeah. So it's more about the idea that these things are the same consistency as whale teeth. But in reality, they're just a scaly eyeball. They're basically a scaly eyeball thing. Actually, the whale shark has these these denticles all over the whole body. And I guess hmm. these differ slightly, but all of them are there for just pretty much protection, like a scale-like armor, like you said. And they even said some of them are shaped in such a way that it helps it swim faster. But the eyeball is still really kind of a cool thing. And actually, how they were studying it is they studied both living and dead animals from aquariums. And yeah, they discovered it was just covered in these denticles and they, it's for eye protection. But something else they discovered too is that the, um, the eyes could also protrude back into its head hmm. almost halfway, halfway the size of the eyes. As it, it could sink its eyeballs in whenever it wanted to? Yeah. It could retract the eyeball into the eye socket up to like half the diameter of the eye. That's interesting. Why? I, 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 like, I, I just want to know what their theory is on why. I guess the armor for the teeth, but uh, what, what does the eyeball do for them? Well, here's what they're thinking about that, because they're basically thinking that the whale shark eye seems to emphasize the importance of vision for environmental perception, which would contradict the general idea that <laughs> pretty much they have low reliance on the vision as species. So this is almost a showing like, hey, they really do use their eyeballs and oh. like them so much they're going to protect them. I mean, eyeballs are awesome. That's for damn sure. <laughs> like, especially dark. Maybe they're just thinking down there when it's so. I mean, I don't know where they swim. They're probably there probably is enough visible light they could see, but still in the ocean. I, don't, I mean, like sharks, they're they're all smell based, right? So I think they're almost thinking like you don't really need eyeballs. I don't. You never hear about fish with like amazing eyeballs or something. But maybe this whale shark, its evolutionary tactic is is eyesight, possibly. Well, that's kind of interesting. The um. Uh, so it, you mentioned the whole shark thing about, uh, you know, a shark being smell based. And did you hear recently they kind of disproved the idea that uh, a shark can smell blood 10 miles away or whatever it is? No. Yeah. I, this is not one of my topics, so I don't have much uh, on it, but I just remember hearing Those are my that. favorite. The ones <laughs> that we just don't know shit about it, but we just say we do. <laughs> <laughs> I do the same thing. See, I read an article two weeks ago, so here it is. But they can't they can't smell stuff in the water. They disproved it. No, I mean, I don't know how you prove it with something like that. But um, the point of the blurb I read was that um, either it did it didn't care about the blood in the water or it didn't smell it. So, you know, take it take it for what it is. Mm -hmm. So uh, did they mention how these uh, fish scales differ from? You know, like a shark? Is it just the fact that it's the material, like the bone, rather than... Because I know sharks are um, obviously scaly, just like most fish, but shark skin is a whole different texture. It's like this rough, smooth... That's why they make boots out of it. Um, no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Honestly, the answer is I don't know. They did, they, they did mention just like on the whale shark that it's covered in these... They call them dermal denticles, and then they're like, these are tiny teeth, and they're mentioning how it's like an armor-like thing. So I don't know. I do know, like you said, that you hear shark skin is super rough. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's rough because it has it's covered in these same dermal denticles. This kept mentioning it was a whale shark. So it's like, this is a whale shark study, whale shark study. And now I wish I knew if it was a whale or a shark, 
or if there's a combo of that or something like that. I, I want to say it's more shark than whale. Yeah. It's a shark. It's a shark. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Maestro. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why this is like, I don't know. Where, it, it's a shark. Okay, cool. The audience has voted. It's a shark. Get your votes in. Is a whale shark a whale or a shark? Everyone, <laughs> get them in on the Instagram right now. That's pretty much the end of, the, of this topic, but I just love the idea that you could you could technically say that a whale of, of a whale shark's eye is full of teeth. So uh, have you guys ever been to like an aquarium and done the whole touching thing where you get to touch strange creatures? No, I wouldn't do that. Yes. That's gross. That's yeah. gross. Okay. Have you ever touched like a, a manta ray? Manta rays and stuff. Exactly. Or the, yeah. or the shark. Have you ever felt Super a shark? Super cool. Yeah. No, I would love to. A shark's my favorite animal, man. But I did the manta rays a bunch of times. Like a tiny little vacuum when they come over <laughs> and they eat it off your hand. Yeah, they like suck it up. It's cute. Ocean creatures are squishy and weird feeling. I don't want. To, I don't want to touch them. They're icky. I love the fact that like they fall apart as soon as they come out of the water. They're just <laughs> yeah. they just limp. What the decompress. <laughs> yeah, octop- what the, the, the octopi, or- jellyfish, fish. Oh, everything does. Yeah. Oh Jesus! It all just goes limp. Uh, so speaking of water. A couple episodes ago, I presented a story here about a guy who broke the Guinness World Record for taking wet sponges to the face. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the most wet sponges to the face in 30 seconds. Yes. Yep. I do remember that. I remember <laughs> it was like 42 or something. Yeah. Ooh, good memory. It's actually 43, but very close. Oh, oh no, that is very close. I remember ridiculing him in his attempt to, that he only made that much because I feel like if we all attempted this, we could get a, a system going way more efficient, faster, beat that number. I mean, yeah, there were certain criteria to it. Like, I think he had one assistant hucking sponges at him and he had to be like six feet away or whatever it was. Is this like an update? Like he crashed it again or something? This is an update about the same oh, guy. Jesus Christ. So... He has officially set a new record for the most wet sponges taking to the face in 60 seconds. I feel like this guy's found his niche and he's never going to move beyond it. Yes. This guy. This wet sponge thing. I don't have his name here because, you know, but he's written a book um, about all the records he's broken. He started breaking records when he was 30. He's 35 now. And he's broken something like 120 records. Did you say 30 or three? I'm sorry, you kind of got cut off. He started when three? he was 30. And, okay. Uh, so for five years. Okay. Yeah, so he's been working at this for five years. Uh, uh, Mr. E, just so we can give this guy a little credit, could you look his? Could you look him up? Sure. What's the name again? Um, uh, a guy who took wet sponges to the face for 30 seconds. <laughs> and, and type in not porn in the Google, too. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> that, that helps. <laughs> That'll definitely help. Not the porno of the wet sponges. So he set a new record here, and that was for the 60 seconds. Oh, he's got a sick name. His name is David Rush. David Rush. Ooh, it sounds like a record-breaking name. Okay, what did, he, what, did he, what did this douche do this time? Like, I hate I hate all those records, but anyway, I would love to know more. Oh, this one's on, based on his old one, though. It's oh, wait, you said just more sponges at the Well, face, hang on. Right? Don't, look it up. Don't look too much into it. I'm going to have you guess how many sponges he took oh, okay. this time. Okay. So okay. he took wet So the 43 sponges. was in 60, or, uh, 30 seconds, right? Uh, uh, 43 was in 30 seconds. Okay. Oh, okay. Yes. So how many wet sponges did he take in 60 seconds? Starting with you, Mr. E. I'm going to say 
I'm pretty sure he has a dedicated thrower, and they've probably gotten yes. better in practice. So it's probably more than double. So I'm going to say 95. Okay. Max, what say ye? Even though I don't believe in this man at all and his ability to throw sponges and faces and we could definitely break his record, <laughs> I'm going to give him 112. Ooh. Okay. So out of the 106 sponges that were thrown at him. <laughs> you lose, sir. <laughs> I know. Fucking son of a bitch. Uh, 96 of them made contact, but apparently only 92 oh. counted. Oh, Wow. I was close as fuck. Should have got the instinct. I did, like I was like, he's gonna fail this challenge too and do under underperform. <laughs> I would have done 112 at least, and even with 106 sponges, I would be like, pick those up. We have more time. Well, I'm glad you're really into this because I really want to whip wet sponges at you. <laughs> as long as I can design the whole process. Wow, I can't I believe want, you're like, into at least it. a three man. Because here's the thing: uh, you have bigger arms than me, so I think you'd be a better thrower. But I have a pretty face. So, yeah, I'm really conflicted. I have strength and I can I can throw a ball far <laughs> through like a but it's not going to be you need to thread the needle on this one. They even said themselves it's face shit. So, he's like, "Oh, so hit his face, but they didn't count. That's just wasted time, effort. So, accuracy is what I need and accuracy is that what I'm I'm more of a I would throw like five sponges at once. Actually, maybe that is what you should do. It's all about the sponge count, right? He said he only had 106, so if we had like I don't know, 8,000 sponges but again, already we're just up in our chair. Like you just chuck them. Just, just everyone's chucking them. And we have a slow, what do you call the slow-mo guys from YouTube? Just watching like, okay, that's a hit. That's a hit. That's a hit. That's a hit. Well, I, I, mean, think... I don't want to do this. There's <laughs> definitely better. There's better things to let's create our own Guinness record. Cause this is just so, so wacky. Let's make the most pasta and give it to the most homeless people or something. Right. So, I mean, here's the, Oh, oh yeah. And so, there you go, Mister E. This <laughs> is the setup. Doing it. Ah, <laughs> uh, dude, amateur setup. What are those? Ki- Wait, actually, okay. For those who haven't seen, there's a picture. We'll have to post this on the Instagram. But there's, <laughs> just so we can talk shit on this guy some more. Uh, basically, he has like a thrower, and he's sitting there, and he's surrounded by people, and, and the other people that are surrounded almost seem to be there to pick up the the wasted sponges. Toss them back, maybe. Maybe that means they can reuse said sponges. So again, just maybe you're not limited on the amount of sponges you have. You know, like maybe we can bring like two thousand sponges now, not the eight thousand I said before. Well, I'm looking at that <laughs> wet bucket, and it looks like there's maybe twenty four sponges in there. You know what I mean? Doesn't yeah, look that, that bunch, many. Yeah. That's probably hard to grab too. Mm. Maybe if you had like a bunch of gallon buckets full of them, we could sit there and we could we could trade out like lock and loaded. He's just sitting there grabbing like huge fistfuls of sponges at once. So this like, looks like an, he's wasting time just fishing for a little. Fuck that. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> we, we could do way better. We could do way better, but I don't want to do way better. And this guy's found his fucking niche. I'm like, I'm trying to think what argument would be that. Like, yeah, this is his calling in life for sure. Well, I don't, I don't understand how it's essentially the same record, but different time. So can we do the most wet sponges in 65 seconds? You know what I mean? Like, where's the cutoff here? Like, this is, it's Until really he comes stupid. and challenges it and then beats us. I'm sure right. Can. True. There has to be some sort of something out there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Guinness, if seems like they've lost their way a bit. It's pretty flimsy on that one. World records shouldn't be that easy to obtain is what I'm saying. You know, Agreed. it's a fucking world record. Like it must be in something renowned. I don't know. <laughs> Didn't you do? I feel like you did a topic similar to this either many moons ago or 
many eons ago. So I want to kind of t- I want to ask you about it first, and then we'll, I'll go into it because okay. this is based off a study. So this is this is a study on humans, but it's based off a study on flies. And didn't you do a study about light on flies? Yes, you did, uh, right. It was one what of the first episodes. That? And it was about how um, blue light is harmful to flies, even the blind flies. It shortens their lifespan. Thank you. I thought I was remembering that correctly and that I was driving myself crazy that, oh, my God. So so you did a study on, on flies that blue is harmful to them. So yeah, this the study story. they're doing. On, oh, OK. So this study is a study on humans, but it's based off a study on flies. So Ooh. so. So um, the study that was happening on, on fruit flies and mice was uh, shown that red light could improve the functioning of mitochondria. Wow. So this is so this is like the opposite. I remember, I remember, as soon as I read it, I was like, wait, wasn't like blue light negative to the flies? This is basically saying the red light is positive to the flies. That is so based on that study. Yeah, right. OK, so based on that study, what is here? What, what they've done is they've um, they've tested on humans. And they're saying a few minutes of looking into a deep red light could have a dramatic effect on preventing eyesight decline as we age. Jeez. Every day, just a, what, 10 seconds? They mentioned it as if, like, you're brushing your teeth or shaving or something. As if it would be, like, maybe if this technology is, like, still continued and stuff, that maybe in the future it'd be, like, brushing your teeth, shaving, and then you shine a light in your eyeballs. They said they – so here's what they did. They had a research team. They recruited 12 men, 12 women, ages 28 to 72, and each participant was given a small handheld flashlight that emitted a red light with a, with a wavelength of 670 nanometers. Sean, explain that, please. 670 nanometers. Well, you, what you see is a nanometer is a thing. That you know. <laughs> Thank you. And Thank you. That, that was my that's my assessment as well. And so, so that at that wavelength. Like I didn't know this either. It says at that wavelength, it is toward the long end of the visible spectrum and is just short of an infrared wavelength, which humans can't see. So it's just enough that we can see a type of deal. And so they uh, each participant they spent three minutes each day looking into the light over a period of two weeks. Huh. And um, let me find the the smart way of saying it. But basically, there was a fourteen percent improvement in the ability to see colors or cone color contrast sensitivity in the people who did this. Okay. Huh. I know. I was like, what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, I'll tell you what that means. Yeah. I mean, so cone contrast. Uh, I think cones are reds, right? Because rods well, are – I don't know. Exactly. There's cones and rods in the eyeball. And cones are the photoreceptor cells that detect color and work best in well-lit situations. Rods are retina cells that specialize in helping us see in dim light. Hmm. So pretty much how they um, tested these people is – they measure the cone function in the people's eyes by having them identify colors, colored letters with low contrast. Have you ever done like an eye test and they're looking to see if you're colorblind? Yeah. And they have like numbers and that weird. Basically, it sounds like they're doing something like that, right? And so they did that. And then they also met, um, when they did that, they measured their eyes rod sensitivity. They also did that by trying to they'd be in a dark room and they'd ask them to detect the light signals in the dark. So that's how they tested the cone function and the rods was the light. They tested the light thing to test their rods and then they also did like can you see this number on this color thing on the cones does that make sense i know i said i said cones and rods like 50 times right i mean so overall it's a benefit is there any um uh evidence or uh i guess theories about how long this will last how long like a treatment like this if you do 
three minutes a day for two weeks, will that benefit you for a month, a year? That was something that it didn't really go into. Because that was like one of my questions as well, where I didn't really see if it was something that would just last it forever. They just said there was an improvement, a noticeable one. And Mm -hmm. something that was really cool is they said there was only 24 participants in the study. um, And they even mentioned there wasn't a control group. So they're going to have to keep studying more. Because they should have a control group where that someone just shining, you know, some bullshit into their eyes. <laughs> but of the twenty-four people, all twenty-four of them had an improvement. Huh. The younger ones had up to fourteen percent, but it really helped improve the older ones. People over forty, they they uh, had a twenty percent rise of the color contrast sensitivity. So they basically passed, you know, way more of those tests of like seeing lights and seeing different color contrasts and stuff. And so it really helps with almost declining eyesight because I guess as we get older, it's all about the mitochondria, I guess like this light is improving the function of mitochondria, which for lack of a better term is good. (laughs) You know what this is? is This is just more shit. I have to do in the day to be healthy. That's all this is just, yeah, you know, for fucking sure. It's maintenance. It's all made. It's like brush your teeth, fucking wash your face, yeah. fucking cut your this, shave your that, smell your this, put your shit on that, cut your thing, do this, put your this on, wash your fucking clothes, take your fucking vitamins, do this. That shine a fucking a light in your eye every three minutes, or you're gonna go blind when eight, you're older. Eight glasses of water. Oh god. Make sure it's filtered. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually said that before that I've struggled. I don't think I've ever had the perfect day where you do everything you're supposed to do. Like eat the nice square meals. Oh, have a little bit of salad with that pizza or whatever the fuck you're eating. <laughs> it's the perfect day doesn't exist. And if you could have one and then have like 30 of those perfect days, you'd be like an Olympic swimmer or something. <laughs> That's fascinating. I don't know if I've ever classified a day by like the perfect day. I mean, it's one of those, I think it's like a Japanese thing. You can spend your whole life searching for the perfect day and you'll never find it, but it will not be a wasted life or some, some weird <laughs> shit. Some like thinking your mind bullshit. That's awesome. I think there's anything else about the, the light. Pretty much, yeah, they were talking about mito- the, the mitochondrial theory of aging in, is that in humans and animals, we age because of da- damage accumulates in the mitochondria and the mitochondrial DNA. So the fact that this red light is stimulating the mitochondria and the eyeball, I guess, is um, it says the eyeball was the highest concentration of mitochondria of any part of your body. Hmm. Which I was like, okay, cool. I didn't. I thought I thought mitochondria is the power house of the cells, and cells are everywhere. So I don't know why. I don't, so again, who the fuck knows? But yeah. since there's so much of them in your eyeball, and this red light helps mitochondria, it, it was helping your eyesight. So uh, something else I think is fascinating about this is in that fly study I did. Even the blind flies were affected by the blue light, yeah. and it short, shortened their lifespan. So I'm super right. curious about what the red light effect is on the rest of your body. I mean, that's awesome. I think it really, really is. What, what, what it really is is the mitochondria. They keep mentioning mitochondria, mitochondria, and we always know powerhouse of the cell, powerhouse of the cell, blah blah blah. blah. And so I'm, I'm assuming that blue light. This is all assumption now. Even though the fly, the light the, the flies couldn't see, they're the very cells they're made up of have mitochondria cells in them, right? So that somehow was exposed to the blue, and I guess blue is bad. Mm. And in this study, it's saying red is good on mitochondria cells. So yeah, some level, I bet you red is. Maybe if we went to like a red planet, sun, we'd have Superman powers. Damn, son! You right? just cracked it. <laughs> right? That's a reach. 
No, it's not. We go there right now, and it's like in the perfect Goldilocks site. And then, like, we were like the first explorers there, and we go out there, like, I claim this for Earth. And then two weeks later, like, Sarge, have you noticed I'm, you're stronger and you're jumping around more? Like, shut up, don't tell anyone. And then, like, their li- their eyes are lasering the whole habitat down. It's a whole destruction thing. There's a movie there. You're reaching. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll get Matt. the blue light out of you. I'll blue light you all. Um, do you have any European stories today? Mm, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I've got a whole slew of them, and I'm just going to start with this one right okay. here. Let me find it. Oh, there it is. Um, there's been a radiation spike detected over northern Europe. Oh, I've heard of that. Isn't that the whole Russian, like, it's like Chernobyl too? People, Russia's like, oh, it, it's not us. <laughs> yes, essentially that's it. But uh, you may be thinking of the 2017 scare where a plume uh, went over uh, Europe and Russia was like, well, it wasn't us. <laughs> Wait a minute. Is this another one of those topics we need to take a shot for or something? All your topics lately have been take a shot, the world's ending. And now we're getting radiated, bro. Who's getting radiated? Well, so what they say is this radiation is not lethal. It's not harmful to humans or any of that. It just happens to be a byproduct of uh, nuclear fission, a.k.a. a nuclear plant. And um, they know for a fact that these isotopes are man-made. They are created in the process of nuclear fission. And there's just more of an abundance of them in the atmosphere or? Yep. Recently. Okay. And uh, like you said earlier, this happened back in 1986 with Chernobyl. Right before Chernobyl went down, you know, there's a big cl- plume of radioactive nonsense. I think it's pronounced Chernobyl. Like, continue. Chernobyl. Um, yeah, for sure. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> remember when we <laughs> thought it was in Russia? It's still, it's not. <laughs> I don't think so. I think someone uh, someone corrected us on that. That Chernobyl's not in Russia. I don't think it is. I think it's um in Chernobyl. Yeah, it's uh. Isn't some, that the name of the place it was in? Some other state. It's all Russia. Okay, okay. We were okay. brought up in. There thing. you go. There you go. That's it. You were brought up in the American school system, so pretty much that means Russia in our mind. True that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, we're not, we're not very well traveled. So, uh, yeah, the last time this happened was back in 2017, and they were like, hey, uh, Russia, you know, the wind patterns and the idea that these are man-made suggest that it's one of your plants. Russia was like, uh, we don't know. <laughs> no, comrade, you're, you're fucking, it's only six reddos or whatever they said about <laughs> Chernobyl. <laughs> no. And that's pretty much what's happening now. So we'll see what happens. It doesn't oh, necessarily God. mean a meltdown. Yeah, it does. That, 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 that's, we've seen. If history repeats itself, if this trend continues, okay. although it does suck because nuclear power is actually a very stable thing if we could do it. It's like one of our old topics. One of the oldest topics we did was about – oh, God. What was it? Thorium? Like, do you remember? Yes, thorium-based nuclear reactions. Yes. That's what it was. And the only reason we did never use them is because the ba- the reactors we have now 
create plutonium and plutonium is the key thing in a nuclear bomb. So it's almost our gradient to creating nuclear bombs is the reason we use the shitty nuclear plants versus if we use the thorium based ones. I remember it was like letting steam off of a kettle where there was no way it could ever melt down. But that's a whole conspiracy theory for another day. That was well, one of our old dubious bakery topics. Let me tell you about another nuclear fuel source that claims that it can never be, that it is meltdown proof. Meltdown proof. Yes. Okay. Okay. It's called TRISO, which stands for Tristructural Isotropic. And essentially what this is, is um, currently uh, traditional reactors are um, a bunch of fuel rods, an assembly of fuel rods lowered into mm-hmm. you know special water and then uh yeah, yeah we've all seen the 007 okay no no but don't tell me tell me well that's got kind of backwards because he's he's inserting the control rod into the fuel assembly which actually okay. slows the reaction that's how you control the, nu- the nuclear fission re- i did i had to do a deep dive on this to make sure i got my shit straight so okay wow damn you cracked that knowledge egg um <laughs> So, uh, point being, in that movie, he was uh, that was a uh, that was off. I think they had a, an escape hatch in that one too. <laughs> I don't know. You're not supposed to have those in deep in, in the nuclear reactor or something. I don't know. Anyways, um, so this new fuel, Triso, it's instead of fuel rods, these are uh, small pellets. So a uh, fuel okay. rod is contain it contains lots of uranium discs. Or plutonium discs, or uranium refined. I don't know what. Oh no, it's uranium refined discs, okay. and uh, then that's encased in uh, special metals and whatnot. Um, these, yeah, it's encased in magic. Mm-hmm. These As we all know. are tiny grains of uranium and oxygen encased in layers of graphite and a special ceramic. <laughs> so they're like Traeger pellets. Like what? Traeger pellets. You have a Traeger grill. You, you fill it with little wood pellets so you get the wood flavor, but you don't put real wood in it. Sure. So they're like, your, they're like uranium pellets. Yes. Yes. They're just like your uranium pellets. Yeah. It's, it, wow. The nu- a nuclear reactor is just like a Traeger grill. All right. Kind of. Really? No. So. Um, um, okay. So what they're saying about these things is – because they're encased, each uh, uranium piece is encased within this material, this graphite mm-hmm. and uh, ceramic material. It can withstand temperatures of up to 3,200 uh, degrees Fahrenheit. That's hot, right? That's very hot. In fact, okay, yeah, for sure. most modern reactors run between 1,000 and 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit. Oh, wow. So it really could just keep on trucking. Exactly. And uh, so what they're saying about this is because they're contained within there, if anything ever did happen, that nuclear material would not escape that bubble. Oh, that's good. Not going to the atmosphere and exactly. cause superpowers. But even beyond that safeguard, there are other safeguards in place. What they're saying is uh, traditional reactors are encased in huge containment structures that are designed to keep radioactive materials encased should the reactor melt down. What's up? The boobies. Uh, yes, for us, um, what is that? San Onofre? No, San... Is that San Onofre nuclear plant? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah for, here in Southern they, California. They make, they make concrete boobies to keep the nuclear reactor in. Yes. 
<laughs> those are the those are the Southern California boobies. Yes. Yes. Thank um, you. And if you ever notice. Uh, they are we, to get to them. You have to drive south on the five freeway for a long time, and they are in between a bunch of nothing. Like there's lots and lots of miles of nothing between them and civilization. Besides that freeway, yeah, he's right. Like you're driving for a long time, and all of a sudden you just see some breasts on the right side of your of your car. Yeah, big concrete breasts, and so. Um, that's because in case of a meltdown, they need to make sure that, uh, you know, the surrounding areas will be safe. So back to the safeguards. First safeguard is the pellet that will not release radioactive material. Second safeguard. The Traeger, the Traeger pellet. Yeah. Yes. Second safeguard is uh, new designed reaction reactors to accommodate this that won't go over uh, 32, or 3,200 degrees. So it'll never get to okay. its breaking point. But okay. technically they tested it up to that, but it wasn't a breaking point. Um, next, quote unquote, it is physically impossible, as in against the laws of physics, for triso to melt in a reactor. And this is Clay Cell, CEO of X Energy, one of the companies developing this technology. I'll double check. I'll, I'll email him. so i thought that was fascinating coupled with the idea that these things uh will if they ever do any catastrophe ever happens some shenanigans yeah they will encase the the uh, radioactive material and they're saying that no shenanigans can ever happen because of the way this whole system is designed so it sounds like on some level it's still using the same old tactics of like putting uranium in there and and does this mean there's no plutonium byproducts is that i thought that was the whole kind of point is that they use uranium because it makes plutonium and plutonium's needed in nuclear reactors and then the whole point is that it's kind of a unstable process and it blows up so the fact that this thing's more stable using the old uranium like system does that mean there's still no plutonium after thing or does that still mean maybe there is plutonium after shit and they're this is a kind of still a better system because they're they're getting kind of the best of both worlds i would assume there would still be a radioactive byproduct left over um Mm -hmm. that being said i don't know what it is but the real draw to this is that with these new reactors they can be the size of a cargo container they don't have to be these big concrete breasts the, the, the breasts yeah the they, breasts. Don't, they don't have to be okay. that they don't need the giant cooling tower you know these things can be tiny and then if they're tiny and there's no possibility of meltdown you can start start to put them closer to the places that will need them mm-hmm. like cities i know and blah, blah blah think of all the concrete they'd save without making those concrete fun bags <laughs> that's right so uh trisol triso will actually also be the fuel source used in the u.s's new 3d printed nuclear reactors oh my gosh we're we're that level of 3d printing now we're printing nuclear reactors right <laughs> dude i've seen what you 3d printed and it's great but i don't know if it's nuclear reactor great <laughs> so, they, so they must have they must have really improved that technology even better what are they damn that must be printing pure titanium well you saw uh in i think it's God, I don't remember the show. I think it's Savage hey, Builds. Dude, 
Oh, no, oh, oh. I thought you said Lost in Space. Remember in Lost in Space, they 3D printed a gun? Oh, yes. No, I was thinking that's Lost in Space. In our current technology, um, I think it was Savage Builds, Adam Savage's TV show. Um, he yeah. 3D printed Iron Man armor. Oh, yeah. And it was out of titanium, yeah. and they used like a, a a funky 3D printer that's absolutely not uh, commercially viable or uh, for home <laughs> you use. You cannot buy it, no matter what. <laughs> yeah, for sure. If they have dirt on someone, just to have access to it. Um. Yeah. So X Energy says that they could be ready to demonstrate the next generation of nuclear reactor by 2030. Hey, isn't that when they say the the ocean should be mapped too? The uh, hey. going back to my last episode, they said in 10 years, which is 2030, they're hoping to have the whole ocean mapped. Yeah, that is fun. Yeah, but good luck to them with that one. We just have to survive 2020 because 2030 is going to blow our minds. I don't know. That whole ocean mapping thing is, there's no way. Simply because you're going to have international so waters and nations that don't want you in their territory, and you're going to have these big gaps, and so, eh, whole ocean, my ass. That's, this is, that's my theory, at least. Okay, and we're back. <laughs> All right, so. Well, I want... <laughs> what? I mean, usually what? Mr. E gives us a countdown. Are you fine with that <laughs> intro, Mr. E? I don't That's fine. That's fine. You said we're back. No, no, I'm keeping no, this. Well, I didn't know. He said we were back. Put this in the out. Put this in the what do you call it? The shenanigans pile. Okay. <laughs> You're not gonna do that, are you? <laughs> You're gonna use this whole thing. <laughs> what are we saying about space? I don't know. What are we doing? Okay, yeah. So I'm a, I'm a fucking piece of shit. Okay, there's something. They found a planet core out there that's what i'm trying to say they found a planet core and i've seen this article come up a couple times in my little scientific research that i you know i go like to the same three four websites and each website was like oh a new unseen type object circling a distant star and they're calling it a planet core so i'll tell you more about it but do you have any ideas have you heard about this no i haven't heard about it but it sounds like uh the crust was ejected from it in some i'd imagine some sort of cataclysmic event obviously, but uh, I imagine it had to be external to knock the crust off it, right? Well, I think you're thinking more of um, like an Earth-like planet. This is actually like the planet core of a gas giant. Oh, oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, because actually, yeah, g- giant planets like Jupiter or Saturn have a solid planetary core beneath the thick envelope of hydrogen helium gas. I kind of didn't really – it's one of those things I guess you, if you had on a test, maybe you'd know, but I never thought about it. But Because you think of these gas giants as a big ball of gas, but in theory there is a core there that's super dense that's keeping the whole kit and caboodle together. I guess the, so, the yeah. disconnect for me is I'm likening it to Earth in that the core of Earth is you know, miles and miles beneath our feet. It's not necessarily what we stand on past the atmosphere. For sure. So that, that, was, that was throwing me off. Mm-hmm. No, for sure, for sure. No, I totally. Understand. So I imagine some so, big Death Star event where a laser blew off the crust of this thing, and you know now it's traveling to the next world. Here's what I'm thinking already, because they kind of describe what they think probably happened. But uh, this team of astronomers they discovered the rocky innards of a giant planet um, that's missing an atmosphere, and they found it by running a program on something called the Test Space Telescope. And they use that plus the HARPS spectrograph in Chile, <laughs> and which which can basically measure the masses of stuff. And they put all the data in. They found this 
this object has a lot, like a really, really heavy mass that's really close to a star. It's really close to the parent star it orbits. Okay. And they said it's exceptionally massive. And so the radius of the of this object is three and a half times larger than Earth, but it's but it's about 30, 39 times more massive. And since basically since they see how massive it is, they think it has to be a core, and it probably is one of these gas giants that all the, the atmosphere, all that gas just got, like you said, obliterated or destroyed somehow. Right, so that qualifies it to be a core rather than just some, you know, like a planet, planet with no atmosphere. For sure, because I think a planet is almost just a rock. Although I guess you think that rock would have a core, right? But on some level, they're saying this thing can't be a rock. It is like a a big old core, and they're saying I guess it either lost its atmosphere in a collision or just never developed one for somehow. And this is the first time they've ever seen this, so this is another reason that it's kind of cool because they can observe something out there that's pretty much happening here in our solar system. Like they know these planets have these cores, but now they can kind of look at this one and say, this is probably a planet core and they can like study it and see what it does. Yeah. Okay. And this is the first one we've ever found. I'm guessing this is, yeah, this is the first one we've ever found. And, uh, there's basically two ways that it could have possibly lost its helium gassy atmosphere. It could either be tidal disruption or the planet is ripped apart from orbiting too close to its star mm. or collision with another planet late in its formation. Oh, interesting. And huh. actually as the one of the scientists you found it, he even said like it's the first it's the first and now we know planets like this exist and can be found and we have the opportunity to look at the core of a planet in a way that we can't do in our own solar system. So I just like saying the word planet core honestly. The whole time <laughs> like the planet core. I just like the way that sounds. And basically, this whole article makes it sound like this thing which is, is just almost like a gas giant, but it's so close to the star, the parent star that it surrounds, that it probably just ripped away its atmosphere and all the gas and shit, just absorbed it or burned it off. So it's well, just like this weird core planet circling the star. Yeah, this is kind of the end result of those pictures you see of one star or one solar body leaching the atmosphere or energy from another solar body. And like, so the one being leached always has like a, a trail that ends up being kind of a spiral into the larger body. And mm -hmm. what you're saying here is possibly after all of that has taken place, you're just left with this, this rocky core that is too massive to, uh, so yeah, massive meaning mass as in, uh, the gravity it's, um, density right it's yeah it's, it's super dense pretty much and for something to be that dense i think they're almost thinking it had to have at one point had like a, a something maybe all that gas pressurizes it yeah that's very cool level. i wonder if we can study the star the light coming from the star to determine the elements that were possibly taken from the planet I'm almost thinking too, like again, if in the future where we have spaceships and we're going to other planets and all that stuff, maybe that'd be like a weird Star Trekian fuel source. Like, oh, we found a planet core. We could extract <laughs> dilithium crystals from this and what's, get the get the engine core up and running. What's the one from Galaxy Quest? The uh, uh, beryllium spheres. Beryllium sphere. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> or I was thinking, like, maybe that's what Nibbler's shit's made out of. You know how like the the Planet Express ship runs on Nibbler's shit, or that's dark matter or something, but or whatever it is, maybe these these planet cores would be the way to get more fuel. So I, I just like the idea of a planet core. Well, in the last episode when you mentioned um, a, the teaspoon of neutron star weighs like 100 tons or whatever oh, it was. Oh, 10,000, yeah, yeah. It was like 10,000 tons or something. That's immediately where my head went was uh, Nibbler's, Nibbler's shit. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. 
<laughs> yeah. So speaking of new discoveries, I'm going to bring it back to Europe like I said I would. 20 new gigantic pits were discovered near Stonehenge. You know, I'm glad you look, you're saying this topic because I've read the title and I'm like, and I started reading a little bit about it and I it was like, I'm not sure. I think at the time I couldn't wrap my head around it. So I'm glad you wrapped your head around it. So I what had is to read this goddamn article like six times to understand this. <laughs> Simply Good. because they kept referencing Stonehenge, and then they'd reference this wall, and then they'd reference some other thing over here, and then but it was counterclockwise to the north in this direction, and I, I got lost in all the just <laughs> the towns and rivers and me too because it kept saying Stonehenge, and then it's like it's bigger than Stonehenge, but it's not near it, but it did stuff, and there's these pits. <laughs> And they're cool. And like, <laughs> I, couldn't, I wasn't getting it. And I'm like, okay, and that's good. But honestly, it was like watching Lord of the Rings. It was just a bunch of bullshit being spouted at me. And I was just like, I don't, I don't know what any of this is. And I'm getting turned off. In the 50th century when the first pit was dug. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but I powered sure. through for you guys. So, okay, please. Lay it on us. Uh, these pits, the reason they're so special is they represent the biggest Neolithic site found in Britain to date. In Britain. In Britain. So um, they were found using mag- magnetometry. Magnetometry. Magneto found them? <laughs> yeah. So these tractors pulled these uh, magnetometers across the land and discovered Barry Pitts thanks to their chalk outlined walls. So. Okay. So uh, they did like uh, the Jurassic Park thing. Yeah, exactly. Uh, except uh, this one fires magnetos. And when he hits the chalk, he bounces back and, you know. Magnetos. Yeah. You, they're really called magnetos? No. Oh, they, oh okay. They measure I, them on I, the Xavier scale, for sure. Okay. The, Jesus. I'm like, I love that they're called magnetos. <laughs> so uh, these pits, um, they're not actually around Stonehenge. They're actually around something else called the um, Durrington Walls. And they okay. they form like a nice crescent shape around them. And there's 20 of them. And I think it's kind of interesting because they're expecting to find new pits very soon. So there was like a design to this too. Isn't like pretty much at this time, right? They shouldn't, they almost thought people shouldn't be able to do this stuff. And there are, is that kind of a part of it too? No, I mean, you know, anybody can dig a hole, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> all it does is it points to, um, the idea that this this area, this particular area, is just rich with all sorts of artifacts and, you know, Neolithic rigmarole. Cultural significance. That's a great way of putting it, yes. Much okay. more poignant than uh, rigmarole. Okay. And uh, so it's just diving deeper into their heritage. And I found that fascinating because these people have lived there and been recording history for quite some time and they're just now finding these you know what i mean yeah and it's so it's all just deep down there they're just kind of discovering just different structures all around this i don't know this the stonehenge part was stonehenge part of a town like i don't really know much much about stonehenge i just know it's like mysterious and, and obviously the aliens built it but yeah uh the yeah, the, the people back then got the aliens to build it, and then they used it for ritual stuff. <laughs> I like how the people got them to do it. That's cool. <laughs> they so, asked them or made them do it. I don't know. This kind of got me thinking, like, what 
what ancient sites do we have in the U.S. Really? Oh, everywhere. There's ancient stuff everywhere. Well, yeah, and so I looked up a few. There's a uh, Chaco Canyon in New Mexico. There's Cliff Palace in Colorado, and then there's a uh, ancestral. Uh, what am I trying to say? Uh, Pueblo dwellings, you know, in Utah, Arizona, New Mexico, Colorado. And mm. those are only the ones that I can pronounce. There's a ton more out there. Oh, dude, there's probably like at least 10 more then. <laughs> there's a lot more. <clears throat> so I have another story out of Europe here. Actually, out of London, as a matter of fact. Uh-oh. You have another Europe story? I do, for sure. Are you from Europe, bro? You can mm. say it. Well, no. You can say it if you are. <laughs> Get him. Um, it's okay. You're so in England, when they are renovating for a new apartment complex, not renovating, but uh, preparing the land for a new apartment complex, they discovered a 16th century playhouse. Dude, only in Europe that shit happens. It's right? so weird. Like, dude, that always fucking happens in Europe where you always hear like, oh, we found, what was it? There was like some ancient road somewhere in Rome somewhere. Some fucking ancient bathhouse somewhere else. Some ancient bullshit here, there, and other. Some huge cathedrals all buried. And then America's always like, we found like bones and murder victims. <laughs> and there's no, <laughs> there's, there's no actual fucking like culture. And they, and they they have like so much fucking culture over there that's all buried. Like, oh, we found whole cathedrals down there. Well, sorry. Okay, so what they find? They found. I think what they had going for them. I, I lost track. But... <laughs> I think you're right. Well, I lost track. We still have Chaco Canyon and Cliff Palace and the ancestral Pueblian dwellings. Fuck, fuck the ancestral Pueblian dwellings. Hey, kiss my ass. Those are cool. But obviously, they're not as ancient. <laughs> I don't know what they are. Sorry, sorry, ancestral Pueblo dwellings. I'm, I'm trying to be a shock shock. Sorry. No, really, really, if really I friend. wanted to visit any of these, I would go to the Cliff Palace. That thing is amazing. Isn't that the Indiana Jones thing? No, that's in Turkey. Uh, no, Cliff Palace is the uh, dwellings built into the side of a of a like a big red cliff, you know, red rock and uh, Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade. Maybe is that it? I don't know. I'd have to I'd have to look that up. I'm not sure. But anyway, shaking his head. I see you guys. No, it's that's in Turkey. So I'm curious what you're talking about. Okay. Well, anyways, that's another topic to go on. Like the. the a crystal cathedral or whatever it is. <laughs> It'd be weird if the chalice was uh, in New Mexico. You know, that'd be odd. I think it was in Turkey or something. <laughs> okay, sorry. Think? No, I, I, like, I know these facts, and that's why I'm shocked that there is something there. So, okay, I'd like to know. But anyway. Okay, so they found this old playhouse, the 16th century playhouse. And uh, this, if it's true, this is the fabled Red Lion Theater, which predates Shakespeare's Globe Theater. That was where he had all his plays and whatnot. Uh, That's awesome. That'd be cool. How does that even fucking happen? Like, if you're in a theater and you walk on the ground and go, hello, here's the entrance to the theater. How how does 400 years later, you're discovering it like underground? So like so all that dirt has piled up or something? Or am I even making sense? No, you, well, or you are. I mean, work? there had to be some sort of uh, event to put the dirt on there or they abandoned it for some reason or buried over it. But maybe it's haunted. But... What they discovered was uh, okay. wooden pews, so benches. Uh, mm-hmm. They found brick chambers that might have been used to keep beer casks cold. That's cool. I thought cool. that was awesome. Yeah, technology of the time to keep shit. Wait, wait, how did you ever get it cold in that technology? Like, keep. 
I guess you can keep it. Wouldn't it be room temperature because they can't get it cold, so they can only just prevent it from getting boiling hot. To keep it cooler, I guess. I don't know. Well, okay. I, you know, I shouldn't say that because ah. didn't um, ancient Puebloan dwellings figure out how to uh, <laughs> keep their houses cool using certain building techniques and layering and uh, piping and whatnot? I have heard of something too, like you like dig stuff in the ground and have like two clay pots, and somehow you can like layer it and dirt it in such, such a way that it makes like a like I think a pot inside will wick away the heat or something, and you can actually make stuff pretty cold. It's like a uh, a yeti. A Yeti water bottle. God, we, we barely we, we know a little bit about everything, right? But not enough to do anything about it. It's crazy. It's the autobiography. Um or maybe that's the first album we release. <laughs> a little about everything. So uh this thing they're really gonna have to rewrite the history books as far as what they thought theaters were back then, because essentially uh this has a shallow stage and a limited gallery, and it was it at least seems to be a repurposed complex of buildings. Mm-hmm. So uh, this might have been built as a um, shop or a church or homes, and then they repurposed it into a theater. And, you know, that's done uh, quite a bit now, but back then that wasn't. It was either, you know, a theater was set up and stuff happened there. Or the theater took over like city hall for a day and put on something. Mm-hmm. Did they find like a skeleton that had, like a at like a piano with like a feathery hat on, like just mid keystrike? They did. They discovered it. Did you read the article? I just assume, right? Like, did they even have pianos back then? Like, ding, ding, ding. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great question. Well, I have a story about duck poop. Do you have any? Have you read about duck poop lately? Uh, not lately. No. Any thoughts about duck poop? Anything you've always wanted to know about it? Well, you know, I think it's probably one of the grossest of bird poops that we interact with because it's it's always big. Like if you ever go to a pond and there's ducks there, <laughs> it's like big shits, and it's like like it's that it's that egg white consistency, but with yes, streaks of. Yes. Like a like a baby puke green and a white and then clear like there's a lot of texture there. I thought your answer would be no, but no, I don't. I don't really have any real thoughts on. <laughs> I know, like I have no thoughts about it, but you definitely did have thoughts about it, which I'm very glad about. No one else is, but I'm happy about it. I'm happy. Well, this study about duck poop was interesting because it showed that um, some fish eggs could survive digestion the whole way through a duck and survive getting pooped out. Really? Yes. So I know there's coffee beans that go through a monkey's intestine to get shit out and people pay millions of dollars for those. What are you talking about? What the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) Shut the fuck. What? You haven't heard of this? No. Uh, Mr. E, can you confirm that shit them out and the people get them and they pay a lot of money for them yes monkeys certain uh, there's a brand of coffee out there that's uh produced by monkeys eating the coffee beans or maybe it's some sort of rodent and then they poop them out and then people buy the coffee beans because it's supposed to be enriched with nitrates or something or out monkey poop coffee please i'll continue but i want to i want to know more about that 
bullshit you just claimed. How dare you? Anyway, so um, these fish eggs can't survive the the duck digestion. So, here, so what was cool about this is <laughs> this could be an answer to why certain like um, isolated bodies of water would have fish in it. Like, where does where does fish come from? Oh. It's like a river somewhere. Like, where did it come from? Now they're saying maybe some of these eggs got pooped out by like a flying bird and it hatched there, and then Bob's your uncle. There's fish there. Wow. And so when they started this uh, study, a lot of the research didn't expect any of them to survive because fish eggs are soft. And so what they did is the, in a lab, they fed thousands of eggs to two invasive carps uh, of um, basically fish eggs to eight mallard ducks. And about 2% of the eggs were intact after the ducks shit. So they basically out of basically 18 out of 8,000 survived. Wow. So the lucky few, right? But of those lucky few, uh, some of the eggs contain wriggling embryos still, and a few eggs even hatched. So oh. it kind of proved that this could happen. Like a duck could eat a bunch of eggs, in this case a lot, and maybe you just can't fully digest all the eggs, so some get pooped out. And so they said that uh, most of the viable eggs were pooped out within an hour of being eaten. But um, one lasted four hours, where it was still in the duck for four hours before it was for a scientific term, shat out. <laughs> and so this does prove that, like, in theory, let's say a duck ate a bunch of egg, fish eggs, it could fly up for up to four hours and shit them in a, in a river somewhere, and then maybe it'll hatch, maybe it'll survive, maybe it'll do this, and this could be, like, how the fish species has spread. This is also how, like, certain plant species spread, too. Like, they could just attach kind of, like, the duck feathers and stuff. Well, that's but what I was going to say, is it's it's kind of a symbiotic relationship, in that, uh, much like bees and pollen, you know, the bees, yeah. bees pollinate and it spreads the pollen and, you know, Bob's your uncle. And so and they, and they eat the, the flower and the leaves too, which stimulates growth. Yes. Yes. I, I actually like that. I know it starts off like, <laughs> duck but like actually the bar I was like, what motherfucker? Like, like that makes a lot of sense actually. And it's kind of impressive. Basically they were saying like a single carp fish can release hundreds of thousands of eggs at a time. So there's that. And then if a duck found it, obviously it's a duck. It would eat some shit out of it. And then it would leave and then shit somewhere else. And if only, you know, a couple of those eggs survived, you know, over hundreds of thousands of years, that could just be the explanation where these just things are everywhere type of deal. But you're saying only 18 survived out of 1,800, out of 8,000 8, 8, eggs. And, yes. and out of those 18, only a few hatched. So the margin is Correct. super slim. It is. Yeah. But still, it's possible. Yeah. And over time, that just kind of it. The answer is yes. But I almost go back to life finds a way type of deal where this just could be the explanation where some pretty much bird shit everywhere. And these are just like studies on ducks, too. So, like, <laughs> you never know, like maybe some other birds are shitting out eggs, too, and whatever they find and spreading them and life just is infectious. I love the idea that they, uh, that's how isolated lakes and ponds may have been seeded with fish. That's pretty cool. All right. So my last story for the episode is about AI. Oh man. I know. We love that's our AI. Near and dear to our hearts. A long time ago, I mean, a long time ago, many moons ago, we had an AI debate about uh, whether AI should get rights. And then and ever since then, we still kind of, 
poke fun at each other every time an AI thing comes up. <laughs> as far as I don't know, just 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 the pretty much the metaphysical thoughts behind it. So uh, this story is about a movie called B, and it'll probably be out in 2021. Is it spelled like B, like a bumblebee, or how's it spelled? Just the letter B? The letter B. Okay. So it's essentially about um, a scientist invents a program to perfect human DNA. It glitches and becomes dangerous. So that's the story. Mm -hmm. And starring in it will be the first AI actress. She will Say be, what? She will be a robot named Erica. Why is she a robot actress versus a like she's not voiced by someone? It's her voice or something. It's completely her voice, her actions. Uh, you know, they'll give her the lines and she'll say the lines as she deems fit as an actress. Oh, shut up. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was just saying, it's just like she is she gonna make like choices on where to walk? Like she's gonna be like a puppet, right? Or she's gonna make decisions. Uh, well, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, she will be given creative control essentially. Okay. She was taught to act by Japanese scientists. Um, the best actors on earth, by the way, as we all know, are Japanese scientists. Right. So yeah, no, exactly. So the roboticists, <laughs> I love this. The roboticists that designed her taught her method acting. I'm like, cause you know, that's ro roboticists too. <laughs> He, like made her watch Taxi Driver like over and over <laughs> again. <laughs> you watch this, it's just slap, watch, slap, watch. And it's something like great come. I love this cauldron brewing. So, guess who she's playing in the movie? An AI who hates humans. Exactly. Right? Oh my god. Okay, so that was she's guess. Okay. She's playing the AI program in the movie, so it's not much of a stretch, which is I think better than okay. her playing the lead or something. That's not really an acting stretch. But hey, I I do like that they didn't get a human actor to do this. Yeah? I think I think all AI act all AI acting should go to AIs. <laughs> <laughs> so uh I see nothing wrong in the idea that she will immerse herself in the character of an AI that glitches and becomes self aware. I don't I don't see that being a problem. You know, from a method yeah, acting yeah. standpoint. I'll say, yeah, you're just teaching her what to do type of deal. This is back to the monkeys. Early. Remember like one of our older topics where they, they gave monkeys the human gene and then their brains are folding and they're doing all sorts of stuff. Uh-huh. It just doesn't sound right, man. So just... she was originally designed uh, to study Hubot, human robot interaction. And then I like the name Hubot. I am Hubot. Hubot. And then um <laughs> They adapted her and made her better and uh, specifically designed her for this role. Okay. And the so she's not acting because she was designed to do this. Okay, anyway, yeah. So I hey, mean, I'm the first one to love robots. Well, yeah, exactly. You are the sympathizer. I am. You're going to let them in, I, bro. I, I, for one, welcome our AI overlords. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's get the breeding pins going. <laughs> uh, no, so I never... I, the arts were one of the last bastions that automation couldn't replace. Bastions. That's a great word. And yeah. I, I think this is a scary step forward in that programming something to be creative and put that out there. I don't know. That just, that just means my AI girlfriend is just that much step closer. 
dude. <laughs> so this is a bit off topic, but on Reddit there was a um <laughs> yes, my favorite kind of topic. <laughs> on the Star Trek uh forum, one of them, uh, I think it was Daystrom Institute, in- Institute. Yeah. Um there was a discussion about holodeck pornography oh, and God. yeah ai consent. yeah and essentially consent with something that may be self-aware like um, yeah that's a slippery slopey there yeah oh man it was a fascinating read just getting everybody's opinion and i don't know there's something about that particular uh corner send, of reddit send, send me that send that, me that, one. Yeah. that was uh it's it's very serious everybody took it very seriously you didn't get a lot of jerk offs in there doing weird stuff but <laughs> So I bet, yeah, yeah. <laughs> reading that one was quite interesting. So that's all I got for this episode. You got anything else? I got one more. Oh, all right. Another, another space one too. My favorite. Uh, I like this one just because the title itself just it's kind of a mystery. So, but astronomers have been uh, pretty much mystified by the, the the disappearance of a massive star they had been observing. Hmm. Just disappeared. Okay. So they're trying to figure out what, what could have happened, right? Something moved in front so, of them. Well, maybe. Maybe. We don't know. So these are all <laughs> okay. it's all theory now. It's all theory. That's what's kind of funny. Like we, We've been studying it between 2001 and 2011. Various teams of astronomers studied the massive star, and they did conclude that it was in a late stage of its evolution. And uh, this star is in the Kinmen Dwarf Galaxy, which oh, I know that is one. pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, I love that. My favorite, it's my new favorite galaxy. Uh-huh. I don't know, it is kind of fun to say Kinman Dwarf. I feel like we have to write some movie and have like, hello, I'm the Kinman Dwarf, and only like two <laughs> dudes will get it, but it'll make sense because it's dwarf's not a bad word, it's the name of the galaxy. It's scientific, Jesus Christ, everyone. Um, <laughs> sensitive much? I know, well, I'm just saying, like, because I, I almost said the M word, I was like, I can't say that. The what you're talking about. M as in magnificent, right? Yeah, I don't know. Anyway. Go on. So anyways, this thing, they've been taking it for like uh, 10 years. And then in 2019, someone went to go look at it again, and it was no longer there. And they hadn't looked at it since 2011? Yeah. Well, that's a huge gap. I mean. I mean, yeah, but still, what happened to it? It's not there. It's kind of weird, too, because. It could have just ejected all its uh, energy essentially in a supernova, right? Or would we have seen that? Well, that's the thing. It didn't supernova. Oh, they know that for sure because it'd be remnants or evidence. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So they know it didn't do that. That's why they're so shocked of it. Like, what the hell could have happened? So possibly they thought maybe it collapsed to form a black hole without supernovaing, and and if so, that'd be the first time that's ever happened. Or they're maybe saying the the object's brightness might have dipped. Because of dust getting in the way. And they were saying, because they've been studying it before, and they're saying, like, it's a, like I said, it was at the end of its life. So it was having a lot of, um, it, would, it was highly unusual for such a massive star to d- disappear because it didn't make the supernova, but it was also, it was having a lot of giant, ex- oh, here it is. It was experiencing giant eruptions all the time. So it was constantly making these giant eruptions. So on some level, they're almost, I think they're almost saying, like, maybe, or at least here's almost my theory, not being an astronomer, that it's blowing, <laughs> like, kind of kind of what you said, where it's blowing all their sh- its shit out, out into the universe, and so it had no much, it's not as light anymore, and then the dust that's obscuring it is in the way, and now it's dimmer, uh, and now they can't see it, is what I'm kind of thinking, is what I'm, what I think, not being a scientist, and so... 
so based on the observations, the, the astronomers suggest two things too. So there's the basis. Number one is, yeah, like I said, the luminous blue star was being transformed into a less luminous star. And then there's dust in the way. Or they're saying maybe it could have collapsed into a black hole without producing a supernova. And those are like their two rating theories. But of the theory, like number one sounds more plausible. I didn't know that you had to create a supernova to, or you had to, yeah, create a supernova to create a black hole. I thought it just I was shocked too. collapsed. I thought that too. That's what's so funny. I thought the same thing. Because it does say like our current understanding of how massive stars die suggests most of them meet their end in a violent nova. And I, I mean, I guess yeah. I, on some level I knew they blew up, but I guess I thought the black hole ones collapsed. And then I, I thought that it was so big, it would make a black hole. And if it was just not big enough to make a black hole, it would blow up. I guess. I don't. Yeah. So we, we don't. I guess you and I need to study black holes more. Well, yeah. My understanding of a black hole was um, <clears throat> the sun works on nuclear fusion and that fuses uh, atoms together. Uh, to create denser elements and eventually the power of the gravity of the star is not able to fuse the elements together anymore and that's how a star meets its end in that it sucks into itself creating a black hole it, it, sucked, it sucked itself yeah. God, I didn't realize how stupid I was until I started explaining that alright <laughs> yeah Hey, I hear you. <laughs> Miss me every episode. <laughs> every episode, I'm like kind of dumb. Yeah, that's all I got. That's, that's all I got. All right, so we'll see you next week. All right, let's do it. Bye. All right, well, thank you for joining us on Better Than Most Things. Please keep in mind we are enthusiasts, not experts. If you want to know more about the topics we discussed here, we encourage you to research them for yourself. Let us know if we miss anything. And as always, submit your questions or interesting topics to our Discord. For all the latest updates, subscribe to our Twitter. Instagram at btmt underscore podcast and please rate subscribe on your podcast app.